welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with resident strength coach, John Carroll. The Pillars of Health is on a quest to help you gain insight into the best ways you can manage stress, sleep, exercise, and nutrition in order to live your best life. Stay up to date with the Pillars of Health podcast by checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as CoachJohnCarroll.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with me, John Carroll. I'm joined by Alex Tansky. Welcome, Alex. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, no worries. Guys, we are talking about the benefits of conditioning today and some key markers to look for when it comes to assessing conditioning as well. So before we get into all that, let's get into our icebreaker question. And let's start with you, Alex. (laughs) What's something you believed in early in your career, but now you've changed your mind on that? It's hard for me to list just one, probably. (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll give a few examples. I think one is probably just my over, overall view on squatting and deadlifting versus doing mostly everything on a single leg approach. <laughs> I think I think the difference is having almost started my career in more of a single leg approach and having had back pain, I kind of thought that would made the most sense. And then the more educated I got and the more I really learned about the mechanisms behind a lot of people's back pain. Uh, I realized that squatting and deadlifting are probably some of the better things, but you just have to rethink how you coach it and your starting position. And there's probably some few things you probably have to do outside of that. So that would be one A. One <laughs> B is probably topical conditioning, where before I did zero, and I thought, why do I need to condition? That's just going to eat my gains, and <laughs> why would I do that? So I think the difference is now. I think of it more in terms of like, huh, this can actually improve my lifts. Huh, this can actually make my life expectancy longer um, just with all the science and and everything we know goes along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think those are the two big things. So uh, what about you? Uh, Something we were talking about earlier today during our lift when it comes to pull-ups and and the carryover effect I've had in my chest like I'm not doing any any push-ups or, or bench or anything like that, but I'm doing the fighter pull-up plan, and I'm hitting like between 12 to 15 reps of, of pull-ups, and then some weighted in like the six to eight range, and my chest is like just popping. <laughs> I can attest for people that are only listening and can't see you. I know I I I feel like we we get that question all the time, like, but what do you do for chest or what do you do for insert body part? Right, right. So, yeah, it's just like, no, just, just think, think bigger. Think, think globally, not locally. And yeah. What are we doing there? So. I, I, and I think a quote I saw the other day on, believe it or not, Twitter, but it was like, when you only train muscles, you miss patterns. When you, tr- when you train all the patterns, you don't miss any muscles. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, boom, that's a really good way of kind of, a, of kind of summing it up to someone who's like doing a body part split for their entire life. Yeah. And it's kind of like at a, a crossroads, you know? Yeah. Yep. So the topic of conditioning, let's get into benefits first of all. We've got a couple of benefits of conditioning. Let's start off. Conditioning can help lower levels of inflammation. All right. So when it comes to what you're doing for conditioning, number one, we'll get into that in a second. But basically, what a form of conditioning can help turn on or off your fight or flight response. Okay. And you've probably heard us talk on the podcast before about sympathetic which is kind of more on fight or flight and parasympathetic which is your rest and digest 
So, Alex, you just mentioned there life expectancy in your icebreaker. Kind of go into detail what you do for uh, conditioning when it comes to life expectancy. Well, I think some of the kind of research that's out there really just shows that people that are endurance athletes tend to live longer than the general population. So that doesn't mean everyone has to be an endurance athlete. It just means that there's um, there's systems that you want to be training that I think a lot of people miss um, that you want to train in everyday life. So I think a lot of it has to do with, and we've talked about this before, but having that long, slow conditioning mm-hmm. and getting, getting plenty of that. I think a lot of people think they almost turn everything probably upside down to where it should be. So they do a lot of high intensity right. and like almost zero to no, like low intensity. Let's, let's keep our heart rate between 120 to 135 ish. And I think for a lot of people that they don't understand how if you continue to do high intensity, it's really only, only going to make you just more stressed over the long term. Where if you do that long, slow, like you said, it's going to it's going to lower levels of inflammation, but it's going to make you just being able to like turn your brain off. We had that we had an, yet another hurricane yesterday. Um, <laughs> so John didn't know he was moving to Hurricane Alley. So. <laughs> I I went down and was doing my long, slow, kind of like late afternoon, uh, kind of like right during the storm, thinking, okay. eh, hope, hopefully the power doesn't go out. But after about 50 minutes, so like half the time was spent on the treadmill, half the time was on the bike, just, it was still work. It wasn't like I was just like, oh, let's just phone it in. It's still it's work. In the, it's in the, like the 120, 135 range? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, almost immediately after, I went back and took almost a two-hour nap and didn't even realize. And then I woke up and the power was out. And I was like, where am I? <laughs> the, the really nice carryover effect from the long, slow stuff is... Now, when we talk about 120 to 135, we're talking beats per minute, obviously, because we're, we're monitoring it with a heart rate monitor. You, you get to basically turn your body into the recovery zone. you know, And that's kind of like a buzzword, recovery zone, whatever. But it, it is very true your body becomes more parasympathetic and therefore you're able to tone down a lot easier. And the fact that you were able to fall asleep kind of illustrates that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And as you can hear, Remy is a big fan too. Oh yeah. He's, he's, (laughs) he's went out for a walk. He's, he did his, some of his long slow. (laughs) He's about to pass out. Now on the flip side of that regards inflammation, like you said, if you're consistently doing high intensity training, you're kind of bypassing that zone of recovery, right? And so you're constantly activating that fight or flight, which can lead to maybe prolonged periods of inflammation in the body. And also you're you're consistently going glycolytic, which is your fight or flight response. And that has a negative effect. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think think another question, I think that some people have, so I'll turn it over to you, Mm -hmm. is I think a lot of people do long, slow, and they think, they think they're doing it, but they're probably not either in the zone or they could be too high heart rate. That is. So why exactly is, is that heart rate range probably important for people? Number one, it's going to create a capacity to do more work in the long run. But number two, you're hitting that lower level zone, like you said, in that 120 to 135 range that allows you to kind of tone down and start the recovery process. And I know from speaking to you with people we've coached in the past that when we recommend some some cardiac output or some long slow for people, they'll try it and they'll come back and say, I wasn't able to go that slow because it feels like I'm not doing anything. 
but that is where you need to be. Yeah. That's the point. That's the point. (laughs) So, I mean, depends on who you are. Right. Exactly. Um, what I've noticed from my experience from coaching people, there's obviously you're more toned up people who can go zero to a hundred pretty quick and they, they can kind of work in that zone. And then there's people who have that range can kind of do the lower level work, but also go to the higher level intensities. And that would be the more complete conditioning system or energy system as opposed to just doing high intensity all the time. Yeah. I I think the analogy, I think another analogy is like the car where you could, you know, if you're always doing high intensity, what you're trying to do is you're probably just trying to build a bigger engine all the time. But it's like, well, what what if we could make our engine more efficient and burn less gas? Because what's, what's actually going to help people in whether, I mean, whether it's pickup basketball, all that type of stuff is, is being able to go and go for a long amount of time. So using that same giving, being able to put more energy out over an extended period of time right. rather than being like, let's go hard for two minutes. Oh, now I have to go take a break. Right. <laughs> so. right. And the next example I give is when I was training for my strong force, uh, certification, you know, obviously the kettlebell snatch test is a huge part of that. And there's three days of a lot of work uh, on these courses. And, you know, I was pretty competent in all my skills and all this, but I was working in three to four days of long, slow in the buildup to my SFG and the weekend went by what I, you know, I didn't feel like I was pushed too hard, you know? Right. So yeah. I kind of attribute that to the long, slow. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, second part on the benefits of conditioning. So a study called lack of exercise is a major cause of chronic diseases, not just a disease, multiple diseases here when it comes to conditioning. And, you know, obviously right now we have a, state of of life where we can do very little and not have to move a whole lot uh, this kind of exposes us to the risk of multiple cancers depression anxiety osteoarthritis heart disease the list goes on and on and from this study i took a couple of quick quotes right most modern humans have been able to engineer most physical activity out of daily life humans now have a choice not to be physically active and along with that and kind of drives the point home a little bit the comprehensive evidence herein clearly establishes that lack of physical activity affects almost every cell, organ, and system in the body, causing sedentary dysfunction and accelerated death. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> That's pretty damning evidence. <laughs> this got dark. <laughs> We've turned a corner. So. <laughs> that is a study, like I said, and we'll provide the, uh, the link in the show notes <laughs> You may not want to read it after that. That's a heck of a prelude there, too. It is kind of astonishing, the link from being sedentary to also your chronic diseases. And, you know, thinking back on the history of human beings, we have gone to a position where we don't have to go out and and chase down our dinner anymore or anything like that. And we're kind of at a crossroads. (laughs) Unless you choose to. (laughs) Unless you're one of those people. Yeah. No, I I mean, the... uh, I think we've gotten away, we've gotten away for a variety of reasons. We've gotten away from movement and like movement is corrective in a lot of different ways. So, um, even I think a lot of people undervalue just being able to like shut off your phone, being able to go, go for a walk outside rather than, you know, watching TV, watching something on your phone on the treadmill. Um, something like that where you can just go outside, you can just be in nature it is it's so much more relaxing, but then you're also going to be getting all of these other benefits that we were talking about earlier. So it just multiple levels. It's going to be, it's going to be probably a, a lot of what a lot of people need. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I think we all know about it and it's kind of 
referencing back to the sleep podcast myself and Aaron done, we hear these things, oh, we need sleep, but it's not really driven home to the to the point where we really realize the negative effect it's taken on our health because it's not instantly evident. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of one of those things that's kind of let go, let go. And then it comes to the point where you need to do something because your doctor's about to put you on some sort of medicine or something. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's sometimes when we see people. This is true. <laughs> um, this is true. So then it's kind of like we're kind of fighting uphill, but, but yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, moving on. Next point, conditioning increases life expectancy. And this relates actually back to what you said as well at the beginning. People with a pretty good aerobic system have been linked to longer lifespans. And again, we have a study proving this, and we're not going to bring you down the dark hole like we did in the last point. But in non-smoking, normal weight, physically fit men, these people live on average 12 years longer than people who are smoking overweight or physically unfit. 12 yeah. years, I, I tell you what, that's a, that's a nice little addition to your life, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's a country song. It's like, in my next 30 years, we're like 30 years plus 12. <laughs> so what would you say, why would aerobic fitness help someone live longer in like the science behind it and how can you how would you tell that to someone if they tell you why or like ask you why well for me the the aerobic system is the system of life right so we we need our aerobic system in everything we do and i think if we're not prioritizing just energy systems in in, in general then we're getting away from number one setting ourselves up for success when it comes to our heart because our heart is what drives everything that's going on uh, aerobically there and when we talked about the long slow you know the actual adaptation we're looking for in the long slow is to create a more efficient heart so we can pump more blood around the body with less beats and obviously if you don't have a pretty well-developed aerobic system your heart's having to work harder over the long term which you can see from this this study that that equates to a, a, a sorry a shorter lifespan so I just thought of the Grinch when his heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> did, he, did you drink a Red Bull? <laughs> so, so you can still be nice, nice to people, but if you do this, your heart will grow too. <laughs> Point number four on the benefits of conditioning. Conditioning can also help reduce body fat. Now, I'm going to hand this off to Alex in a second, but to kind of clear this point up, conditioning alone won't just burn body fat magically. It's got to be in conjunction with, you know, the proper nutrition, good habits when it comes to sleep and, and also stress management. But when it, it is taken in combination, it is a game changer as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it goes back to just kind of movement where, you know, if, again, someone has to be eating well first, uh, and that is the, and, and getting enough sleep and drinking enough water. If you just are looking at doing more cardio, you're not, you're, you're fighting a losing battle on, on, for a variety of reasons. So if you can kind of think to yourself that exercise and diet are almost completely different first and you think about it that way, be like, all right, whatever I did in the gym shouldn't have any bearing on what I eat because it's not like I earned this today or, or whatever. So I think if you can make that, and that's, that's a hard, uh, those are two hard things to kind of disentangle there. So once you get there, I think anything that's going to help get you that more movement. And again, it all goes back to the aerobic system, because if you have a better aerobic system, you can do a lot, even when it goes back to high intensity, you can do a lot more high intensity stuff, a lot, like a lot quicker and get through it a lot quicker and do things back to back where if you are, let's take um, an example, 
So uh, back before, again, when I didn't condition at all, my deadlifts, I would need to rest at least 10 minutes between sets. And even, even from deadlift to deadlift, I would have to wait you know, probably 15 to 20 seconds. We're not talking about light weights here either. So it would be, it'd be, it'd be an effort, but ever really since I started getting a lot better at conditioning. So let's say about 2016 ish now on my deadlifts, I have to, it's the complete opposite. I have to physically time myself. Like I'm not allowed to pick up this bar until it hits this time because I feel like I'm ready. So you can just accomplish more. So I think it helps. It helps just kind of burn burn fat just from just from moving and everything but then i think the bigger thing is that it helps you just do a lot more advanced activities which is really what you want to do when if that's if that's the goal so kind of helps you in a couple of different fronts yeah the last point we'll touch on when it comes to benefits of conditioning is cognitive so when we're talking about the brain improves memory and just general function overall regards recall and a nice little quote here from a doctor John Rate, exercise is for the brain, not the body. It affects mood, vitality, alertness, and feelings of being well. You know, that kind of sums everything up. It also helps lower levels of arthritis, cholesterol, depression, and I'm, I'll include the link in the show notes, but I forget who tweeted it, but basically they had the top 10 most prescribed drugs in the U.S., and their point was when you compared these drugs to exercise, basically for every one person the drug made feel better, there was like 25 that didn't. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he was like, you cannot say the same about exercise. Exercise needs to be prescribed more, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I thought that kind of drove that home. Yeah. And I think, I think going, going to that point, I think personally, I know I'm a lot better coach if I, if I can train first and usually if logistically, I like, I, can't really get to the gym at like 4 30 a.m or <laughs> there's a certain limits but if i can train first i know i'm a better coach for the rest of that day so i know my my evening sessions i'm a lot more just i just feel a lot more of of on top of what's going on because it's usually after i've done my own training so i think there's i think there's that and i think a number of other people have have told me that you know when they see me they're just more productive during the day so it kind of backs up everything everything that you were just saying yeah yeah it really does and especially for people who because you have your two different uh, schools of thought right you have your morning people and then people who may prefer to train in the evening and i just feel like the morning people get a head start on everything for that day whereas yeah. maybe the evening people have you know i'm just kind of correlating here they may stay up later yeah yeah just because it they're you know obviously their body is still riding that wave of endorphins and also you know yeah. fight or flight but yeah yeah we may have to do a study on that. Yeah, <laughs> and it all depends. I mean, whatever, whatever someone can fit something in, that's going to be the best time. But let's, yeah, I think. I mean, yeah. yeah. Just speaking optimally, right? Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's discuss some key markers when it comes to assessing your conditioning. First one, resting heart rate. Alex, can you kind of go into when is the best time to assess your resting heart rate and why we want to know what our resting heart rate is? So the best time is usually, you know, kind of first thing in the morning when you wake up, because that way you don't, you're not really, you don't have any caffeine in your system. You're not going to be probably stressed about other things going on and you want to be laying down for, and I forget 
if it's 10, if it's, it might be 10 beats per minute, but it's like an increase of 10 beats a minute if you're from when you're laying down versus like sitting up versus standing. So it's like 10 for each one or whatever it is. So laying down is going to be the most accurate and also in the morning for all those various reasons. Um, and why you really want to look at it because your resting heart rate is an indicator of your overall fitness. And if you can be under 60, that is very good. If you're over 60, it doesn't necessarily mean that's bad. It just means that's something you need to work on. Because if you're waking up first in the morning and your heart rate is more like 65, 70, then you're a lot, you're a lot more stressed. You're going to be a lot more stressed if it's that high versus if it's under. So I think that's, that's, the, that's the big thing to think about. And just, just priorities, right? So if, you're, if it's over that range, you want to think more conditioning. Did I miss anything? Obviously, resting heart rate directly correlates to the VO2 max, right? Which is one of the key indicators of aerobic fitness, which again, getting back to what we said, life expectancy. Also, is there any reason anyone needs to have their actual VO2 max tested? No. <laughs> Unless you're a high-level athlete. Yes. Yes, exactly. So. No, otherwise, no, no reason. I see, I see things on the in, on the internet. Yes, yes. I definitely um, see places advertising get your VO two max tested with an assessment, and I'm like, why? Yeah, there's no need. Yeah, there's no need. Yeah. There's no need. But whatever. It's it's fancy. It's flashy. But it sells, yeah. right? Yeah. Cool. All right. Point number two on the key markers: the heart rate variability. So Joel Jameson obviously has a big being a big proponent of HRV. And basically the correlation between what your heart rate variability score is and also how recovered you are. So just to kind of clear up for anyone who doesn't know, HRV is basically the, the time or difference between your heartbeat. So for example, if you take your HRV in the morning, and there's a couple of different ones out there. Joel Jameson's is Morpheus. You can also you know, use, there's multiple uh, companies selling HRV uh, apps and straps and stuff like that. But the difference of the heartbeats is measured by the app. And then that gives you a variability score and tells you how recovered or how prepared your body is to deal with stress that day, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the important thing. Is it, it tells you a little bit more information about your overall, like how, how ready you are to either lift heavy or whatever you're about to do. Yeah. And for example, if your heart rate variability score is like in the 50s or 60s, that could be a red flag as to... Maybe there's something internally going on, like, you know, it could be inflammation or it could be autoimmune or basically something yeah. to look deeper at, right? Yeah. And uh, on the flip side, I always thought when I, when I was doing HRV, which I did it religiously for a very long time, and now I, I, I can kind of make the correlation on my own because I, I did it for so long and so religiously that I, I kind of feel when I have a, have a good or bad HRV day, but the, at the same time, you don't want big spikes either. And that was something I didn't, couldn't really wrap my head around, but a big spike is also going to be like, Hmm, maybe we're overtraining or maybe we're fighting off a cold, um, yeah. Yeah. little things like that. So it's just, it's good things to know. And in hindsight, I would look at my dad and be like, Oh, well, of course I had an HIV spike. Then I got sick or it was like right after I did the TSC or something like yeah. that. And it was like, okay, it's time to take things back a little bit. Yeah, really good that you bring that up because I remember seeing my HRV score drop when I was taking it every day and I was like, what's happening? Two days later, I was sick. Yeah. Obviously, my yeah. training volume was, was part of that, but also like post-travel, oh, it'll drop pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The lowest score I ever had was in a hotel room in, uh, I think in Seattle. 
uh, after cross-country flight yep. and getting in late and everything. So Just, yeah, going through airports and security and all that, it's just like, oh, not good. No, <laughs> stressful. It's stressful. Fight or flight, turn on. Where are the bins? There's not enough bins. <laughs> take your shoes off. Do we take our shoes off? <laughs> I don't know what they're saying. Uh. Okay, and last of all, on the key markers to look out for, uh, your heart rate recovery. So we say 60-second heart rate recovery, and this kind of comes into use when you perhaps are doing some conditioning. So, for example, today I was doing a ladder of different weights. So it was a 36 kg bell, 32 kg kettlebell, and a 28 k bell. And I was doing snatches with all three for different rep schemes. And then I would check my heart rate, what the max was, and then 60 seconds later, check and see what it was. So for example, on the first one, I went from 170 to 115 in 60 seconds. So um, 55 beats per minute or so. Hash- that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> for those that don't know, like hashtag boss. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously you don't have to be excelling 55 plus every time. If Generally speaking, if you're in the 40 or above range in 60 seconds that your heartbeat drops, you're doing pretty well. The, I think the difference as well is also people think about how high they can get their heart rate. Um, and it's like, okay, that's cool. But like, how quickly can you recover from that? Because that's really, that's really the essence of fitness. Like, yes, you're going to go through times where things are hard or whatever, whatever activity you're doing, but like, when are you ready for the next one? Or do you need like 10 minutes to take off and sit down and lie on the ground? (laughs) Right. Right. And that's the thing. I think that part of education comes in when someone is perhaps doing an activity like like moderate jogging and they're just pure glycolytic they're 90 percent or above for the entire time and yeah that might be okay but that tells me that you will probably either a not feel pretty good tomorrow and b you're having to work at maximum effort your heart especially when it comes to performing this non-maximum activity yeah yeah and again it goes it all goes back to that like car analogy it's like what if we could make you feel better the next day or like what if, like, yes, you could be doing a pretty good job at whatever, like, let's say kettlebell snatches, what it, kettlebell swings. You could be doing a good job, but, like, you could be doing an even better job if you did all of this as well or, right. or you took all this stuff into, into account. And I think part of that is saying there's always a time and a place to work at a high intensity, but there's also a time and a place to bring it down a level and create a more efficient version of you for when you do have to go high intensity. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, and just to sum up the 60-second heart rate recovery, you know, we, we talked about the long slow. And the reason we talked about that is basically this allows you to work longer without gassing out sooner. And I think that's the goal, really, of training when it comes to conditioning, like to do more work over the long period without hitting that wall. Yeah, it's not necessarily like how, how high you can spike your heart rate. It's like, all right, let's, like, let's keep in the tank for, and like, let's, right. let's sustain our, our output for as long as possible. Yeah. So. yeah. When it comes to Strong First as well, they've kind of changed gears and really promoted this anti-glycolytic training, which is basically saying, yeah, we want you guys to work hard, but guess what? If you can work hard at non-maximum efforts and still get the work done, that's even better. Yeah. You know, so. There, I think there was a, there was a, podcast that uh, strong first did where they talk about having your rest times when you're doing these long conditioning protocols like your le- your rest times should be leisurely 
And I was like, ooh, ooh, yeah. that's actually a very different way to word it. But like, you know, if you're working for 10 seconds and then you have 50 seconds of rest, that's that shouldn't be that shouldn't be all that hard. And if it is, then, you know, address something we were just talking about that way. And I think the way they've always described it is you're getting different energy systems where you're getting that kind of those kind of short bursts of energy. But then you're also getting that aerobic system because you have to recover after each one. So, yeah. So we just covered the benefits of conditioning and some key markers to assess when it comes to looking at your own conditioning levels. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, John. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode.